I'm going to read Judges 13 for us, and then we'll pray. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. There was a certain man of Zorah, of of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful, and drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat, eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. And God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now when are your words to come true? What is the child's manner of life, and what is his mission? The angel Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the the vine, neither neither let her drink wine or strong drink, or let any unclean thing, eat any unclean thing. All that I commanded her, let her observe. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the opportunity this morning to be challenged and encouraged by it. And God, I pray that as we look at this interaction between the angel of the Lord and Manoah and his wife, um, that you would convict us and um, yeah, draw us quick by your Holy Spirit to uh, know what it is you've said to us and to walk in it. God, we're thankful for your word and uh, even challenging sections like the book of Judges. Lord, we, we have seen already that there's much to glean here and much to learn Uh, from saints of old and from your faithfulness, O God. And so be with us now as we proclaim your word, as we speak it over ourselves, um, and as we challenge our hearts to follow in obedience after you. Uh, May you be lifted up, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. We'll go through some more of this in detail as we jump in, but... um, um, but I need my notes to refresh, actually, is what needs to happen. Um, there, awesome. Okay, um, so there's some places where going to church can be a cultural obligation. Anybody familiar with areas where going to church is a cultural obligation? Um, you, you might go because that's what everyone's doing, that's what we do. Uh, growing up in Stillwater, Oklahoma, that was the case. It was odd if someone didn't go to church for some reason, right? The, the predominant amount of culture was going to a church. Whether they believed in Jesus or followed Jesus was another question, but everyone was going to church probably on Sundays. Um, and if they weren't, it was kind of like, oh, interesting. What's wrong with you, right? Um, 
But there's other places where that's not the case. Uh, Christy and I got the opportunity to live in Boston for a few years. We talked about it a little bit last week, just briefly, but um, that was 15 years ago. And back then, um, if you ran into somebody that just, just went to church, you would be shocked. Like if you're in your workplace or out meeting people or whatever, and you ran into someone that, and they said, oh yeah, I go to church every Sunday. That would be a, a big surprise to you. Uh, Boston was and still is one of the most churchless uh, cities in America. Something like 58% of people don't go to church on any regular basis or if, if at all. Um, so when we were there, you know, it was like, man, your heart leapt if you ran into someone that was like, oh yeah, I go to church. Uh, because you knew that they weren't going out of some obligation. They were going because they were truly seeking the Lord. It was actually a, a, a marker, if you will, of someone that was actually trying to seek out God and to live their life following Jesus. In the midst of a culture that was so disconnected from the gospel, a follower of Jesus would stick out in a city like Boston. And as we've been going through Judges, I, I kind of see Judges that way as we're looking at uh, the people of Israel in contrast to these leaders that the Lord has risen up, um, where the people who are trying to listen for the voice of the Lord are the ones that are sticking out in the midst of a people um, who has rejected the work of the Lord and is not following his ways. Right? We, we've read it since the beginning, since chapter 2 of the intro. Verse 10 said this, uh, The people of Israel did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. This is the generation after Joshua. After Joshua and his generation passed away, the new generation did not know the Lord or what he had done for Israel. It goes on in verses 16 to 18 to say that uh, this presentation of the judges cycle that we've been walking through over the past weeks. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after the gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from their hand of their enemies all the days of that judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. To me, uh, the judges that the Lord has risen up, um, they stick out in the midst of a people who does not know the Lord as representatives uh, of people who are striving to follow the Lord in the midst of this culture and to listen to his voice. The Lord is faithful throughout this time period of maybe 250 or 300 years to raise up people who are following the Lord in the midst of a culture who has completely forgotten his ways. And so we see from the outset of this passage, verse 1, that the people of Israel did again what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years, and we touched on this last week a little bit, but 40 years is the longest time of oppression during the whole book of Judges. So in the span of 250 some odd years, this 40-year time period is the longest time of oppression that any one people group has over Israel. And you, you've seen throughout Judges that really what we're seeing is a progression from a people who kind of got it to a people who's uh, losing sight of who the Lord is at all, and now to a people who is so far from God that they're not even crying out to the Lord as we're about to see. The basic rhythm of Judges has been this, that the people do evil in the sight of the Lord, the people then are oppressed by an enemy, and then the people of Israel cry out to the Lord to save them from their enemy, and then the Lord raises up a judge. You guys are familiar with this cycle, I think, by now. 
Uh, and then there's peace while this judge is alive. And then after the judge dies, the people turn back to doing evil, and then they're oppressed by another enemy again. This has been the cycle. And eventually, when they're oppressed by this other enemy, they cry out to the Lord. But this is the first time that we've seen the people under oppression in the book of Judges, and nobody cries out. There is no crying out. The latest and last oppressor in this cycle is the Philistines, and they've been oppressing the Israel for 40 years, and here the cycle is broken. In the midst of this longest defeat of its time, the people of Israel aren't even crying out for God. Does that mean God is done? No. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. Verse 2. There was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. Sound familiar? <laughs> you might have heard it before. Um, I want to say a couple things about Manoah's wife being barren. The first is, uh, just catch the parallel, okay? Uh, here is a nation that in the midst of oppression cannot even cry out to the Lord who brought them out of Egypt. They will not even cry out in their affliction to the Lord. And now the Lord is going to come to a woman who physically is barren and can have no children. The picture is that though Manoah is physically barren, this people is spiritually barren. There's nothing to work with here. There's no elements of faith going on here. There's no one even crying out in the midst of affliction. They're not even going to the Lord. They're spiritually barren. And so the Lord comes to this people, even though they're not even crying out to him. So that's the first thing. The second thing I want to say is that um, this is a pattern in Scripture. Like I said, you've probably heard this before. Uh, the Lord has come to barren women on a number of occasions. Sarah, who was barren, birthed Isaac. Rebecca, who was barren, birthed Jacob. Hannah, who was barren, birthed Samuel. Elizabeth, who was barren, birthed John the Baptist. And barren as in like, they're in their 80s, kind of barren, okay? And then the greatest fulfillment of a miraculous birth in this, she wasn't barren, she was a virgin. Mary had Jesus. God wants to say something specific Right When he is the one that intervenes in a pregnancy and says, okay, yeah, it looks like it's not going to work, but it's going to work. <laughs> right? I mean, of all the things that happen in the life cycle of humans, right, every time that child comes, you're just floored. I mean, it's happened millions and millions, billions of times, right? And then the child comes to you, and you don't even have feelings enough for it. Right? It's a miraculous thing, even when it goes right. And so God, in his power, is doing something here with Manoah and his wife and Samson. Just, you know, you've heard me say it. Some people say Samson's a bad guy that God uses anyway. I just want to let you know he might be righteous, he's not perfect. 
but he might be trying to seek the Lord. And his parents also are trying to seek the Lord. And I hope to convince you of that. Even if I don't, it's okay. Because <laughs> whether you think they're broken people and God uses them in spite of themselves, or they're good people that are trying in faith to follow the Lord and God uses them in spite of their brokenness of not, not insufficiency, right? God is faithful to this generation that does not even cry out. He says, these are my people and I will save them. And it will not be by the hand of man, it will be by the hand of God. And he wants them to know that completely and assuredly. Um, so, as it is, we're going to walk through this story of Manoah and his wife, and the popular portrayal of Manoah is the same as Gideon, really, where he is looked down as a doubter, as one who doesn't believe what his wife says about the angel, who doesn't believe what the Lord is doing, and his questions are seen as doubts. And I would challenge you to put Manoah up against his own culture and say, at least Manoah is praying, Okay, like we're looking at a culture now in his time that isn't even crying out to God after 40 years of oppression by the Philistines. At least Manoah is going, Lord, can you send that man again so we can talk to him? He isn't rebuked for his questions. He has four questions that we're going to walk through today. And the Lord does not rebuke him for his questions. He actually answers and responds to Manoah's questions. So let us be careful about judging the heart of Manoah if we don't really know it. All right, so this is what the angel says to the woman. Uh, verse 3. The angel Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not borne children, but you, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and a razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So, first off, the angel of the Lord appears, okay? Not, there are cases where angel of the Lord is described as an angel of the Lord, as in an angel came from the Lord, okay? But there aren't a lot of times where it says the angel of the Lord, the definite article, like there is the angel of the Lord, shows up. What we see throughout this story is that um, Manoah and his wife know that this person is amazing, right? Like, visually, there's some sort of stunning nature about this person. However, they do not know that this person is the angel of the Lord. They do not know the significance of this person's presence. They only know that something powerful is happening, and we should probably pay attention to what he's saying, especially since I've been barren. He told me he's going to have a child. You're probably going to listen to that announcement over you if anybody said that to you, okay, in that case. And so they don't know who this is. But this angel, come, the angel of the Lord comes and says that your son will be born to you and your son will be set apart as a Nazarite, set apart as holy, to abstain from even more than the children of Israel are to abstain from normally. He's going to abstain even further, okay, is the idea. And he should be set apart for the Lord. So the woman came and told her husband, and basically just repeats what, what the angel said. A man of God came to me. Again, see that she recognizes this person as a man of God, not as the angel of the Lord. His appearance was as, as the appearance of an angel of God, very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. So we've got missing information, right? 
But behold, he said, he said, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine and strong drink or nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb until his death. So Manoah, in response to this, has questions. And uh, we're going to go through four of his questions. And his first question is to the Lord. He goes to God in prayer. And he says in verse 8, And Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. Manoah recognizes that if indeed they're to have a son, as promised, and, and knowing, you know, he's been married to his wife for we don't know how long, but he knows she's barren, and he obviously knows that she has no children. So for an angel or someone who looks like an angel or anything to come and tell his wife that they're going to have a kid, this is a moment that he, he wants some clarity. And he asks the Lord for that clarity. He says, God, would you please send this man of God back? I'd like to talk to him too. He doesn't demand it. He asks the Lord to send him back. And rather than her being rebuked, verse 9 says, And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared to me. And so Manoah runs, it says, uh, does he run? No, she ran. Doesn't say he ran. Anyway, Manoah goes to him and says in verse 12, uh, Now when your words come true, what is the child's manner of life and what is his mission? Again, catch, catches the way he says this, right? Not if your words come true. When your words come true. He already believes what this man of God in his eyes has said over his wife. He's already accepted this thing. He sees that the man has come. And he says, when, uh, when you're... Ah, shoot. I skipped one. Sorry. Sorry. Rewind. Rewind. I'll get back to that. He did go. Sorry. He did arise and went with his wife, came to the man and said, uh, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And the man said, I am. Sorry. It was a very side note kind of question. It's kind of like a question they shouldn't even ask, but he asked, right? Like, like his wife ran and got him and told him it was this person, and he comes to him and he sees this person, so like everything's kind of adding up. Hey, are you the guy that my wife said was here? Yeah, Manoah. <laughs> so anyway, uh, it's a side note question, uh, but you know, it's important. We'll talk about it a little bit later on. He does say, I am. I, I, in fact, I am. Yeah, I am him. And just so you know, if you didn't know, uh, there is a place where the Lord says, I am the I am. It's not this phrasing here. This is literally just a, like a simple I am. Like, yep, like a yes. Not, not a I am the I am. Okay. Um, so he says that, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm him. So then he asks his, sec his third question. His third question is this. And Manoah said, now when your words come true, what is this child's manner of life and what is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. Then he repeats it. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean. All I commanded her, let her observe. Literally zero new information. 
right? Manoah's looking for a little bit further than, okay, he's set apart. Now, what is he going to do? What is he going to accomplish? What is his mission? Right? Sound familiar to us? Like, all right, I, I know who I am, but like, what am I going to do, God? What do you got for me? What am I going to accomplish? And God says, just do what I told you to do with the kid. Right? Observe what I told you to observe. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, All right, let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food, because I'm the angel of the Lord. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need to eat. Uh, <clears throat> for, uh, but if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For here's our parentheses. Manoah did not know that this was the angel of the Lord. He still thinks this is just like, Maybe someone sent, maybe a prophet, but someone who has a powerful word. Manoah still didn't know this was the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord says, why don't you offer a burnt offering to the Lord in this moment? So Manoah asks his final question. What is your name? Verse 17, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, again, not knowing it's the angel of the Lord, right? It's just for our reference that this is the angel of the Lord, okay? Manoah doesn't know. He says, what is your name? So that when, when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask me my name? Seeing that it is wonderful. Um, this word wonderful is like not a great translation. Really, it doesn't like give us the real depth of this. Um, and what it really means is, my name is extraordinary. My name is incomprehensible. The things I do and who I am cannot be expressed. It is too wonderful. It's beyond your understanding. This is actually what my name is. My name is beyond your understanding. I can't actually tell you my name because it's beyond what you could comprehend. Manoah apparently satisfied, like, okay, uh, prepares the offering. Verse 19 to 20 says this. So Manoah took the young goat and a grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord. To the one who works wonders, and Manoah and his wife were watching. And just like a side connection to this, uh, the same situation, same kind of offering happened with Gide uh, with. Uh, Gideon, uh, he also offered on a rock an offering to the Lord, and when he offered it, the angel touched it with his staff, and it disappeared, and so did the angel. Remember that? Okay, so the second time, the angel Lord has shown up, accepted an offering from a judge, and, and disappeared. That's what happens here. And verse 20, And when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar, and now Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on their faces to the ground. In verse 21, the angel Lord appeared to them no more, uh, appeared, to, uh, appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, and then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. It was finally, at that very last moment, it like, reminds me of 
the, the disciples walking on the way of Emmaus, and they don't even know Jesus is Jesus, right? He's resurrected, and they're talking to him after, after he raises from the dead, and they don't realize, and then tell Jesus disappears, and they go, did not our hearts burn within us when he was explaining the scriptures? They didn't have a clue. They totally missed it. The Lord was like shielding it from their eyes until he went away, and they're like, oh, dang, right? Same thing here. Okay, so let's not like cast judgment on Manoah for not knowing what's going on. It's pretty common for us to not know what's going on. At least that's, that's been my experience personally. Um, at that point, Manoah knew that this was the angel of the Lord. Verse 22 goes on and says, And Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. They're wrecked by this, right? Like, they're undone. They just realize that this is the presence of the Lord here, the angel of the Lord, which, you know, best case description we can have, really, which I don't really comprehend it myself, is that the angel of the Lord is most closely identified with Christ, the manifestation of, manifestation of Jesus in the Old Testament. And that's beyond my understanding, how all that works together, but... It actually makes the most sense. Uh, His wife, maybe of greater faith or maybe of greater wisdom, says, If the Lord meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering out of our hands, or shown us all these things, or now announced all these things to us. His wife says, If God wanted to kill us, I mean, he can do it, right? <laughs> if he wanted to take our life, uh, first of all, I, I think he would have done it in that moment because we wouldn't have been able to bear his presence in that way. And second, he wouldn't have given us a prophecy that he's going to fulfill unless he's going to fulfill it through us. And so she knows that, man, if God gave us these promises and showed us these things, then surely he's not going to kill us because we saw him. Maybe it was his intention to show us who he was. So finally, we get to the birth of Samson, verse 24 and 25. Verse 24, and the woman bore a son and called his name Shimshon, actually. Shimshon. <laughs> Can't pronounce it right, but according to the logos, it says Shimshon. Anyway, uh, we call it Samson, but Shimshon. Uh, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him, or sorry, and the, and the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him, met in him in Manaadan, uh, between Zorah and Eshel, that's a city, Manaadan. Um, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him. So, cool thing about this passage, before I jump to, like, some of the application, like, what we can take away from this story is... It's actually kind of Trinitarian, right? Like, here you have Manoah praying to God, you know, presumably the Father, and the angel of the Lord showing up, the second person of the Trinity, presenting, manifesting himself to Manoah and his wife. And then you have Samson, who, you know, isn't commonplace in the Old Testament, but is moved by the Spirit of the Lord. It's kind of cool, right? All three parts of the Trinity interacting here. Okay. Sidebar on that. Um, cool. So, so what do we do with this birth story of Samson? What do we take away from this? How does this 
you know, make any sense for our lives, and, and what, do we, what do we do to walk away from this passage? And I was challenged by, uh, you know, a couple of things. Um, first, the people of Israel, and second, the four questions of Manoah that I want to walk through in our, in our closing here. And first is this. Um, if you're waiting on the Lord, then you're not waiting without hope. If you are waiting on the Lord, then, then you're not waiting without hope. Um, I mean, think about Manoah and his wife, right? And you know, we don't have their ages, but we know that she's childless and barren, okay? This is, this is a fact. They're amazed by the fact that they're promised a baby. Maybe one of the most painful things to wait for as a couple is a child, especially when it's not working out. And so some of these stories where God shows up and says, I've got a purpose in this, I'm going to do something, Man, know that if you're waiting on the Lord, you're not waiting without hope. And whether the Lord, you know, fulfills that desire in you to give you a child, or whether the Lord doesn't fulfill that desire uh, in you to give you a child, is neither here nor there, okay? The Lord's ways are higher than our ways and more, uh, more marvelous than our ways. And, and even in the pain of not being able to bear children, if you are waiting on the Lord... Then you, uh, then you're waiting. You aren't waiting without hope. You have hope in that time. You have something that's sure, more sure, and more strong than anything this world can offer, because in spite of the circumstances, God is faithful to you and a provider in every way, not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually, mentally, relationally. He provides perfectly and in his way. If you're waiting on the Lord, and when you're waiting on the Lord, you aren't waiting without hope. Because the Lord is the only one in all the earth who is faithful. You and I, we're we're not faithful. We're broken over and over and over again. We break relationship with each other. We hurt each other. We... We do things we don't even want to do, right? We're unfaithful. There's only one who is faithful, and that's the Lord. And so if you are waiting on, you know, one another as people, your hope is misplaced because we will fail each other all the time. We cannot stand to be the one that someone else hopes in, okay? I I cannot be the one that my wife hopes in, okay? I cannot be the one that my children hope in. I'm insufficient for that task. I hope to do it to the best of my ability, and in everything I I can do, I will do for that. But I will fail, or I will be broken. I cannot sustain the hope of people. Only the Lord can. And so when you are hoping and waiting on the Lord, then you are waiting with hope. A real sure hope, one that will not fail you. Will it come later than you expect? Yeah, 
like every single time, it comes later than you want it to. But you're waiting on someone who is faithful. And so the challenge to us um, is to be counted among those people who are waiting for the Lord. Okay, Manoah and his wife, in the midst of a crooked and wicked generation, were waiting on the Lord. When the Lord showed up, they heard his voice. They cried out to him and called, Lord, can you actually come back one more time? We just want to clarify what you want us to do with this kid. And the Lord honored that prayer. He answered. He listened to their prayer. And so let's be counted among the people in this generation, in this world, as those who are waiting on the Lord. Despite what it may look on the outside, despite any circumstances that we measure in our hearts, cast those out of the way and hope in the Lord. Second, um, how do we apply these four questions of Manoah? So second and like three points, three points of the second point. Um, Manoah's first and second questions were this. God, please send that man of God again. And second, when he did send him again, he said, are you him? (laughs) Right? Like the most obvious question ever. Question one, please send him again. Question two, are you him? And I just want to challenge us um, first to ask the Lord to show up. Ask him. Don't, like, not ask him. Okay, ask the Lord to be a part of what your life is about. Okay, ask the Lord to come into your day. Ask the Lord to lead the moments that are ahead of you. Ask the Lord to lead your work. Ask the Lord to lead your marriage. Ask the Lord to lead your parenting. Ask the Lord to show up. Ask him. I just challenge you. I challenge you to ask him to show up. Ask him. Ask him for opportunities to, to share the gospel with people. Ask him. Say, God, I want, I want a chance to share the gospel. Ask him. I just try it. Talk to the Lord. Ask him things that he desires. Ask him what he would do. Ask him to come back and talk to you, tell you what's next. And second, from that, don't be surprised when he shows up. <laughs> Okay? Manoah asked the Lord to come back, and he showed up. And he says, are you him? Yeah, I am. Didn't you ask for me? Here I am. Ask the Lord to show up and expect that he's going to. Don't be surprised when he does. So that's question one and two. Question three, what do we do with this son? Right? It says, what is to be his mission? What is his manner of life? What is this son that you're going to set apart? What is he going to do? I want more information. I need to know the future of this child. Challenge to us all is this, that God is not going to tell you more than you need to know. You know the phrase, right? You are on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know. Okay? The only thing you need to know is what God has already said. And what God has already said to Manoah and his wife is set apart this child for the Lord. You've got enough work to do to just focus on this one activity. You're going to have to keep 
you know, keep a razor from his head, keep him from drinks the, or of the vine. Keep, like, you're going to have to do these things. So just, you do those things, and let me worry about manner of life and mission of this child. The Lord appears miraculously twice to them. Uh, Manoah's wife comes, you know, receives the message, then repeats it to her husband. Then, then Manoah asks the angels to come back, and they ask the Lord what he should do. And he tells them the same thing over again. So like three times, right? They tell him, he's going to be a Nazarite. Set him apart as a Nazarite. Three times he says this to them. Or three times this message is communicated, right? And the only thing the angel ever says to them is, observe what I've told you. Do what I've said. Why don't we start by doing what I've told you to do? And let me worry about the next things. You and I know this, that, man, following Jesus, okay, there's a lot to worry about today, let alone worrying about tomorrow. God says, don't even worry about tomorrow. You have too much to handle today to even be worrying about tomorrow. And so why don't you just work on worrying about today? And today's task is to follow me, right? <laughs> to observe all the things that I've said. Go forward and, and share in your life the gospel to those that are around you, to teach others to obey how uh, the things that I have said. So obey all he's commanded and let him worry about the things that he's left unknown to you. And finally, his last uh, question What's your name that we may honor you? And so one kind of leads from the last uh, one, but as we said, it's, it's too wonderful. His name is too magnificent. We, we can't comprehend the Lord. We can't understand him uh, any more than we can understand uh, that, that uh, you know, how a baby comes to, comes to be born, right? Like we, we don't even understand this. We can barely comprehend it. We can't duplicate it. It's too wonderful. There's only one place uh, where this word, wonderful, inexpressible, uh, is used in the whole of the Old Testament. One other place, and that's Psalm 139. And Psalm 139 says this, O Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me to attain. It is high. I cannot attain it. Too wonderful. This word, wonderful, it, it's incomprehensible. But it's beyond my understanding. It's not just cool, right? I can't understand it. Its its wonders are bigger than I can attain. It goes on in verses 13 to 18. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. 
How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they, would, uh, they are more than the sand. I awake, and I am still with you. It can be easy when you've uh, asked the Lord to show up, and he does. And uh, when you ask the Lord, well, what do I do? And he says, well, obey what I've said to you. It can be easy to kind of get frustrated with God. Okay? Um, I've been there, okay, where I'm asking the Lord to answer, and he keeps bringing me back to, just obey today. Let's just work on obedience today, and let me worry about tomorrow. And that can be a frustrating place to be, okay? Because in my heart, I want to plan and think forward and do things that will lead us toward future things. But the Lord says, wait. Why don't you concentrate on what I've already told you to do? Do that. Let me worry about what's next. And this is the reason. Because, again, as Isaiah 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God knows what's next. And his knowledge of what's next, and what he has next, is like infinitely better than I could ever think or imagine. And so why? Why do I steam and, and get frustrated and uh, upset with the Lord and anxious with the Lord about, like, well, what's next, God? What do we do now? And he says, why don't you just worry about being obedient today? And let me, you know, the one who brings birth to barren women, right? Me, the one who, who saves a people who's not even crying out for me. Let, let me handle the mission and the manner of life. I want you just to simply focus on how can you obey me today? What have I already said of you to do? And man, I, I think um, we would do well to concentrate on what God has given us to take care of today because he has certainly given us enough to take care of today. Tomorrow has many worries of its own. Only worry about what God has given you to take care of today. Fact is, we all know this, we don't even promise tomorrow. Right? We don't even know if tomorrow's going to come. Yeah? We think we do. We're really confident about that a lot of the time. Right? But we know it might not come. But today has come. Right? God has given you today. He has woken you up. He's given you breath. He's giving you a song in your heart this morning, praise God, okay? And so today is a day that you can rejoice in. Today is a day that you can follow what God has already said for you to do. Steward what he has already given you to steward. This is the challenge to Manoah and his wife. Hey, just, uh, I already kind of showed up miraculously twice. Just do what I told you first. <laughs> Let me worry about the next step. Right? And I think the testimony here is that they did. The woman bore a son named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him at Manahadan between Zorah and Eshtol. They obeyed. 
They stopped worrying about what was next, and they just raised him, set him apart, and watched over him. And we'll see throughout the story that they're intent on setting him apart. And it causes some friction later on, some questions that we've got to work through. But they were faithful to do as God said, to set this child apart and to obey the Lord's command to do as he instructed them. And so challenge your heart and challenge my heart to do the same. Don't worry about what's ahead. Worry about what God has given you to worry about today. Be faithful in that, and tomorrow will take care of itself. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its faithfulness to challenge and encourage our hearts, and we're thankful um, for just the record of these men and women who um, were people just like us, who had struggles just like us, uh, who faced hardships just like we do, God, who had questions of you. We thank you, Lord, that you are God who answers your children when they cry out to you. Lord, you hear our prayers, and you respond and show up. And so, God, I pray um, that you would help us uh, to pray, and to pray without doubting, but, but that, we be a, that we be a wave turned to and fro in the sea. God, let us pray in faith, knowing that as we pray, you're going to respond. And Lord, help our hearts when, when the response isn't what we like or what we want. And Lord, humble us that we would receive exactly what you desire for us and that it be good. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, look at you in every circumstance, Lord, and trust you with all these things. God, help us to be, um, simplify our thinking, to concentrate on what you've given us to be obedient to today. Surely enough to walk in this day, Lord. And so help us to do it faithfully all our days, trusting you with everything that's next. Lord, you're the only one that knows the past from the future. And so God, we, we thank you that you stand above time, you know all these things, that your ways are higher than ours. We can't even understand them, God. Even things we understand are too complex for us to understand, though we think we understand them. And so, God, we thank you that you would be so merciful to give us this revelation in your word of who you are and what you've done and your faithfulness, God. So help us to hope in you and wait for you. Well, we wait for you and we wait with hope because you are faithful. You are the one that fulfills your promises. You fulfilled your promise to Abraham through Sarah and Isaac. You fulfilled your promise um, to, uh, to, to bear Jacob to Isaac. You fulfilled your promise uh, to Elizabeth to bear John the Baptist. And, and you fulfilled your promise to Mary that you bear Jesus. And so God, help us know that you are the faithful one. You will bear the responsibility for your promises. And so God, we thank you that we can trust you in all things. And we give you all of our life, Lord. We want to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.